Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tate. Welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me. My name is Dr. Danielle Tate. I'm a vestibular physical therapist and joined today as always by Dr. Abby Ross, also a vestibular physical therapist and neuroclinical specialist. Today, we are covering a very big, a very broad, a mountain of a topic, and this is vestibular migraine. We've been a little hesitant to touch on this early on because it is such a big topic, but luckily for you guys, we've got a two-parter coming your way. Today, Abby and I want to come over, uh, comb over some of the basics. You know, this is a big, broad spectrum of a diagnosis, and we want to cover things that are relevant to the vestibular aspect of it. And then next week, uh, we want to invite Alicia Wolf on, the Dizzy Cook, to give us some more background and information as to what it's like to be a vestibular migraine patient and also a person who started this awesome community for other vestibular migraine patients. So, Abby, first, let's talk about what exactly a migraine is. Why don't you take that away? Yeah. Okay. So migraine. Hmm. First of all, migraine is one of the most common diagnoses in the United States, right? Everyone knows someone who had has had a migraine. Everyone has an idea of what a migraine is. And usually when you think of migraine, you think of debilitating head pain. You are in bed in a dark room, blinds are closed. You don't want to be bothered. No loud noises. But the truth is migraine is actually very complex and it is different for everyone. So when we think of migraine in the vestibular world, yeah, sometimes that debilitating head pain can be a part of it, but actually it might not be a part of it either. And we're going to get into a little bit of of, um, what symptoms we might see in something called a vestibular migraine. Yeah, keep in mind a migraine is just inappropriate neural activity that creates a physical symptom. So it doesn't even necessarily have to involve your head. You can have things like an abdominal migraine, an ocular migraine. So there's a very big spectrum in relation to migraine, but today we'll focus mostly on vestibular or inner ear related migraines. Yeah, so this this topic or this diagnosis, I think, is one of the most... um, misdiagnosed and mismanaged mismanaged diagnoses in our vestibular world. Uh, It can be sort of a a catch-all. Is that the word, catch-all? Yeah, I think catch-all because, you know, it's so broad that it can encompass a ton of different types of symptoms. So anybody with a history of migraine, you know, might immediately jump to vestibular migraine or something that sounds similar to it, you know, might fall in this vestibular migraine category. And sometimes, too, it's also very elusive. Sometimes patients get misdiagnosed into something like Meniere's disease, and they completely miss the mark on the potential of a migraine being what's causing the patient's symptoms. So it goes both ways, which I think is um, something that's really important to look at, especially when we talk about mismanagement of vestibular migraines. Yeah. So people go years before really getting it figured out. And at this point, their symptoms are chronic and going to be a little bit more difficult to, to treat. So it's it's interesting to look at both ends of the spectrum, whether it's overdiagnosed or misdiagnosed or just mismanaged, you know, right from the start. 
Yeah, and I think one of the main reasons that this mismanagement or misdiagnosis occurs is because if you're not trained in vestibular disorders, you hear the word migraine and you do think head pain. But like we said, that might not necessarily be true for some vestibular migraines. Um, in addition, we're going to talk more about management a little bit later. Actually, Danny's going to take you through a little bit of her treatment approach specifically. I do want to mention again that any sort of management we're talking about does not pertain to you specifically. This is general terms. Please, please speak with your clinician when it comes to your own uh, management in your migraines or vestibular symptoms in general. Yeah, and for clinicians uh, looking to find a way to manage vestibular patients, you want to not, you want to take everything with a grain of salt because every single migraine patient will be different. So if I walk you through a general treatment approach of how I would maybe work with a migraine patient, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you should do. You want to look at each individual patient, go through their evaluation, focus on their areas of dysfunction and address appropriately. So what we cover today is should ju just be general information, nothing specific. Make sure you do your own research and do some more background searching on all of this. So when it comes to who we see in the clinic that has migraine or vestibular migraine, it tends to be women of childbearing years. And then once menopause hits, we tend to see a decline in this type of diagnosis. So it's women, usually the most of the people I see with vestibular migraine are women in their 30s. Yeah, it's most common, especially for migraineurs to start having symptoms pop up in their 20s, right? Um, they tend to cluster around changes in hormones like uh, menstrual cycles, pregnancies. There's been a lot of um, stories we've seen online and different social media accounts where um, vestibular migraine diagnoses came on after giving birth. Um, oddly enough, too, we this is a pattern that I've been noticing and I've discussed with a couple of their clinicians is people who have had traditional migraines their entire lives. As soon as they hit menopause, the head pain goes away but they're left with these episodes of nondescript dizziness. Mm. So you can have this happen very commonly in women around these hormone cycles that are um, you know, much more easily to be triggered, but you should not rule out the older individual who had been a migraine patient their entire life, stop the head pain. Now all of a sudden they're having these issues with these, these nondescript episodes, these bouts that are hard for them to describe of dizziness. And a lot of times, if you really tease it out, you'll find that they had also had um, visual aura. People that have had a history of visual aura with their migraines are more likely to develop a vestibular migraine. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because some of the patients with migraines, well, one, I always ask about family history of migraines, if I'm suspecting this, because mm. I do think there's a hereditary component. Is that fact? Absolutely. Yeah, there's um, there's a hereditary component of this. And a lot of times, too, especially my older individuals, I'll ask them if their mother had anything similar to this. They go, yeah, my mom did have this and nobody believed her. Nobody really quite understood. Maybe this is what she was having. And it's not until that we've had better uh, acknowledgement of it in recent years that we're finally able to get it at least better diagnosed. So yeah, I agree. I think that there is some sort of a genetic component to that. Yeah, and then even in the diagnosis, sometimes these patients can be pretty tricky to diagnose, which is why there's so much, so many cases of misdiagnosis or mismanagement, because truthfully, 
some tests can be completely normal. Other tests you do, you might see things you wouldn't expect to see, you know, just for, let's say you put them in a positional test and you've seen a stagnus, mm -hmm. but it doesn't quite line up to anything you'd suspect with BPPV. Well, why does this person have positional nystagmus? Yep. Yeah, one thing I'll touch on with that, and, and we can dive in a little bit more later on if we need to, but um, I've been using video goggles now for the last six or so years, and I've found that a lot of patients who are actively symptomatic with migraine will show up with very, very messy goggle uh, recordings. So, um, you know, not necessarily so much a, a VNG, um, you know, what I'm doing in the office where it comes to positional testing, head shake, you know, spontaneous diagnosis with and without fixation, their stuff is all over the map and it can change in different positions. Um, and can, session to session. One oh, session you might do this, the next session yes. it's gone or it's different. Yeah. And it's interesting because it doesn't follow any sort of pattern. So if you go through your traditional um, bedside and goggle evaluation, and you're looking at your patient at the end of it like what the heck did i just see like i mean they could be fine with spontaneous nystagmus and then i'll go to drop them back and all of a sudden they have this upbeating nystagmus or they'll have a weird horizontal nystagmus but it's fixed in both directions or depending on which way you put them you might get something odd i will tell you the weirdest patient i ever had and she's fantastic i love her i still talk to her i keep in touch with her she had positional nystagmus that mimicked bppv mm. And there was just things that weren't right about it. Cause if I held her in positions long enough, things would reverse sometimes other times it wouldn't. When you try to put her through maneuvers, it would not react the way that you would want it to react. And it took a lot of digging between me and her position up at Johns Hopkins. And eventually we're like, yeah, I think this is nystagmus or uh, migraine. So once we started treating this more like a migraine, suddenly we took off in the right direction and she started feeling a lot better. But it was wild that for about a good two months, it really looked like BBBB that we just couldn't clear up. Um, so, you know, if you go through a couple of sessions and you can't clear BBBB, there should be a little red flag there that hmm, there might be something else going on. Right. And in the same breath that we say it can mimic BPPV, we also do actually see BPPV in combination with migraine. So yes. <laughs> it really can take some trial and error. If you see the nystagmus and it does match up to what you would suspect with BPPV, of course, try to treat the, the possible BPPV. If it does not respond, then we might think mm, maybe this is just positional related to the migraines versus migraines and BPPV. But yeah. you can also have migraines with other vestibular disorders too. So the complexity is just vast with migraines. Yeah, I mean that migraines go very closely hand in hand with Meniere's disease. So whether they get confused for each other or they happen simultaneously, you know, it's, it's kind of a chicken or the egg, but it does happen. So, you know, by the time as a physical therapist, we see patients, they're super symptomatic. They probably are more chronic at that point, And there's layers of issues. Very rarely is it like hitting a lottery where you have somebody come in with just BPPV. Um, usually there's right. some other stuff that comes with it. So right. don't rule out the possibility of other things going on. Like I had a, a vestibular migraine patient come in the other day. The history was vestibular migraine, everything vestibular migraine. We go do positional testing and voila, we also have posterior canal BPV. So it does happen. Make sure you're still covering all your bases because if you can at least clear one component of that dizziness up, you're at least peeling away a layer of their symptoms and giving them back some quality of life. Yeah. Um, 
But with that being said, too, there are a bunch of different things that also trigger these migraines that we have to educate our patients on. And that you can spend hours and hours and hours doing. And thank goodness for some of these recent awesome resources that have been coming out and these great people online who have great uh, um, websites and social media accounts that show what they're doing to help with their symptoms that you can kind of point patients in the direction to. Yeah. And again, not everything works for everyone, but some of these triggers that we talk about are modifiable, which is good news for you if you have vestibular migraine, because that means there's things that you can adjust, adjust to help manage your symptoms. And one of those is food, unfortunately. But food can one, be one of the biggest ones. Types of food, like my personal favorites, red wine and chocolate. Yes, and caffeine, which can also go both ways. You could either be a there's two different types of migraine patients. You can either be triggered by caffeine, or you drink caffeine so often that as soon as you stop drinking caffeine, you start triggering migraines. Right. Um, those are the big ones. And if any of you have ever looked up a migraine diet online and have just panicked, <laughs> don't panic. A lot of those lists are known food triggers. So you can be somebody that can drink wine and have chocolate, but something crazy like avocados can trigger your migraine symptoms to come on. Um, starting a migraine diet is more of uh, being similar to an elimination diet and then slowly adding back food and, trigger, and uh, tracking your symptoms to see what triggers events. I had one patient, um, I, you know, from day one, I told her she, I had a feeling she was vestibular migraine. No, no, no. Then we started to look at diet. She's like, there's nothing I eat that would trigger migraines. So I had her keep a symptom log as well as a diary of her food. And every single time she ate dairy or gluten, she had migraine symptoms. So it took her just to do a week of that. She brought it in. She goes, oh, I think I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had patients try the diet thing two ways. I've had patients go all out, eliminate everything that says foods to avoid when it comes to migraine, and then slowly add in item after item so that they can kind of test each item and make sure they respond well to, or not well to that specific item. I've also had people look at the list and say, okay, I do have a lot of red wine, so I'm going to eliminate that one item and see how I feel. And then if there's no difference, I'll eliminate the next item I have a lot of chocolate and see how I feel. And that way you're not, sometimes you're not overwhelmed with feeling like you can't eat anything. You're, you're taking it piece by piece and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. It's all about learning your body. Learning your body and learning what works for you and your tolerance and your schedule, right? So I have some very type A personality patients that can just eliminate everything and be great. And then I have some where they look at that and they go, what is left to eat? Like now I have to go buy different food and I don't cook it. It becomes so overwhelming. Now we're triggering symptoms because of increased stress and anxiety. <laughs> right. So yes, you got to know your patient. You got to know what works for them and help them figure out the approach that they should take. You know, it's not a cookie cutter. What works for one works for all. Um, you know, you also want to talk to them about those other changes. So food being the biggest one, right? Whatever we put into our body is going to react and it's going to affect us in some way if we're sensitive to it. But there are some other types of things that can also be monitored or fixed on your end. That's easier, like reducing your stress, um, making sure you keep track of the weather and be anticipatory of coming storms or hurricanes, things that change the barometric pressure, uh, but also sleep. Sleep is huge. You have to get a good amount of sleep if you want to avoid triggering migraines. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't, did you just mention hormonal changes too? Sometimes patients feel exacerbation of symptoms, especially around menstruation, I've noticed. Yeah, um, absolutely. Any sort of change in hormones, whether it's menstruation or it's um, uh, you're going through IVF or some sort of fertility treatments, or you are going through a pregnancy, you're coming off of a pregnancy, going into menopause, any type of hormonal fluctuations uh, is likely going to have some effect on what's going on with your body. Um, and that can be pretty tough, especially if you are trying to have that child or trying to get through nine months of your pregnancy. You know, managing that is going to be difficult. Um, but there are other ways. Um, for instance, uh, for me, I started experiencing migraines in my early 20s and birth control helped that out significantly. And uh, again, that's different for everybody. And you'll find a lot of information on that about different types of birth controls or medications that you can take to help reduce that. But that was something that worked for me. And I think uh, next week when we talk to the Dizzy Cook, Alicia, she'll have a lot of great firsthand insight into all of these triggers and how to help manage them. Some of them, like we said, are modifiable. Going to bed at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every day, not adjusting that sleep schedule. Um, stress, using relaxation techniques to help reduce stress. Yeah, we can't, uh, we can't quite control mother nature, but having the anticipation if a storm is coming in or, uh, or whatever the weather is predict predicting can help prepare you for those not so modifiable changes. You know, one thing that we can also look forward to from Alicia is uh, just her awesome recipes that she has put together to help people who are going into this migraine diet plan of how to choose foods a little bit more wisely and how to eat really, really yummy food without feeling like you're compromising uh, eating well and eating good stuff. So that's another exciting thing that we'll get to hear about next week. Yeah, I really can't wait. Uh, next, if we move on to symptoms, what do patients with migraine present as? Well, as we've stated, I think four times already, everyone <laughs> is different. Everyone is different. But what I've noticed in a lot of patients with some sort of migraine variable to their mix of vestibular dysfunction is that they tend to be very sensitive to light, sound, and smell or even just one of the few, sometimes they can be sensitive to sound and smell and not be bothered by light. Any sort of heightened sense, um, mm -hmm. you want to kind of let that make your ears perk up if you hear that in your history or be sure to ask about that. Um, also having that visual vertigo that we touched on last week and having uh, sensitivity to motion, um, having also sometimes room spinning vertigo, especially mm -hmm. with changes in position. You'll see or notice in patients when they're having an active migraine that sometimes just the act of lying down or sitting up is enough to turn them into a tailspin. You yeah. can also get a lot of nausea um, and a lot of a lot of neck involvement. I see this a lot and I actually work this into my treatment for a lot of my migraine patients, but they end up with a lot of neck pain, tension, spasms. Um, if you guys watched the Migraine World Summit last year, they had a speaker who touched on neck pain with migraine and they found that people who were prone to migraines actually had different referral pain patterns 
from C1, C2 at the top of their cervical spine. So for these patients, when they stimulated, um, you know, a pain response in those areas, they actually, migraine patients had referred pain behind the eye, which is kind of mm. like that mimicking of the head pain with migraine. So that neck really does have something to do with it. And sometimes that's a physical symptom for people. Their neck will get really stiff and sore before the onset of their migraine. And then of course, when you're feeling awful like this, you know, imbalance, feeling like you can't stand right on your feet, things are moving or shifting is another big thing that can come with vestibular migraine. Yeah, exactly. And then if you're, if you're speaking to a patient that's not really familiar with the triggers of migraine, sometimes this patient population has a really hard time explaining what actually causes their symptoms. So obviously, in all of our histories with our patients, we always ask, what makes your symptoms worse? I find this po patient population to be a little bit vague in their response. I don't know, unless they're really familiar with the triggers like food or light or set, whatever it may be. But sometimes the vertigo that presents can seemingly be a little bit more random than when I move my head, when I look down, when I look up, whatever you might typically hear in a uh, vestibular hypofunction. Yeah, and one thing that we have not mentioned yet that I think is worth mentioning is somebody can develop migraines with trauma. Mm -hmm. So we're talking post-concussion, post-whiplash, um, TBI or head injury. That's another thing to keep in mind. You don't necessarily have to be a migraine or migraineur or migraine patient to experience these symptoms. These can come on after some sort of an injury, post-concussion migraine, very common. Um, you know, that's post, uh, um, I'm sorry, whiplash, migraine following whiplash um, from a car accident, very common. Um, I'm actually seeing a patient right now who hit her head twice within a month of each other and mm. developed these migraines that were more vestibular in nature following her concussions. Um, so that head trauma could also be an onset um, or a trigger for this type of a, a dysfunction. Yeah. Now, if you're treating a patient with what we suspect would be a vestibular migraine, but head pain is associated or is part of their cluster of symptoms, we really want to make sure, actually in every patient, that we're taking a multifaceted approach to treatment. This is a combination of interventions. It's not just vestibular rehab. It's not just medication, typically. It's not just lifestyle modifications. It's usually a blend of all three. And especially mm -hmm. for those patients that do experience the head pain, sometimes the medication is key in order to get them to be able to do anything in vestibular rehab. Because if you trigger a head headache or head pain with rehab, well, that's not very fun for them. They're not going to do their exercises. They're probably not going to come back and see you until that medication gets on board and they find something that works between them and their neurologist or their internist, whoever they're seeing to manage the medication aspect. But that is a key component in the intervention or treatment of vestibular migraine. Yeah, if you're a clinician and you are seeing vestibular migraine patients and possibly even the first person to diagnose or talk with them, it is a great idea to develop a team in your area. Know, have a list of people that you can help set this patient up with to get them to the right people at the right time. So seek out the neurologist in your area who specialize in migraine. Seek out another therapist in the area that might do more dry needling or craniosacral work a good massage therapist, um, a nutritionist or dietitian that might be able to point them in the direction of how to eat a little bit better. 
be prepared to give them resources because if you have a team approach to migraine, it will likely end up in better results. You know, we can't prescribe medication. You know, they got to go to a doctor that can find the things that work for them. In some cases, patients do really well with Botox injections. Um, there are some headache clinics that do really, really well with identifying what might work best for the patient. Even just identifying the medication alone is huge, whether it needs to be preventative, abortive, where you either take the medication to prevent your migraines, or they give you a medication that you can take in the case of when you have an active migraine, um, right. putting them on something daily, like a birth control and antidepressant and SSRI. Like There are a lot of different things that they can get people on, but it takes a long time to sometimes find that right cocktail or that right treatment. I know there is a doctor up in Maryland that um, has written the book, Heal Your Headache, and he makes a, a recommendation for a different cocktail of different types of supplements and vitamins patients should be on. So it's gonna take a long time and you're gonna make, wanna make sure that the patient is seeing the right person and not just seeing someone that has no idea what's going on. If you can give them those resources, you're setting your patient up for success. Yeah, and that's another thing we've echoed throughout our, our podcast talks is, is that finding the right clinician is really key. You want someone that's experienced in migraines to help you along this journey, both as a clinician and as a patient, if you're listening. And also with medication, your your physician might also prescribe combination of prophylactic and abortive. So you might have one that you take regularly and then one that you take just when you're having a severe bout of symptoms or head pain or whatever your, whatever comes along with your with your migraine. Um, in addition to, to medication, which again is outside of a vestibular therapist scope of practice. So we need that other team member in there to help us. Actually, I want to say one more thing about medication before we move on from that. It is often a trial and error process. You might have a medication that you saw on Facebook support groups that worked for everyone and their mother, and then you take it and it's horrible for you you move on to the next medication. Finding a clinician that is open to adjusting your intervention, your medication, your cocktail, as Danny called it, is so important. If something's not working for you, they should be open to trying something else. And actually, I had a patient who, uh, she started a cocktail of, of medication prescribed by her neurologist. She was doing better, but not perfect. And so she went back to her neurologist. They changed the cocktail. She regressed horribly. And she said, actually, I think that first cocktail was, was working quite well. Let's go back to that cocktail. So it really is a trial and error. And your feedback to your provider is so, so, so key when it comes to figuring out what cocktail works best for you. Yeah, and don't be afraid to pipe up and really kind of explain what's going on and what your concerns are. Keep in mind, a lot of these medications have side effects, yeah. right? So you might have to compromise one symptom for another. Don't be surprised if you're not back to 100%. You know, there, you, the hope is to get you there, but realistically, you might have to compromise somewhere and have some sort of adjustment to a new normal. You might yeah. not be back to exactly where you were before, but you are not debilitated like you were when you started your journey of figuring all of this out. So figuring out how to manage that is huge, but also how to find the new normal, how to connect with people that also are going through what you're going through and be accepting of what is coming next or what is now and moving forward instead of looking back to, well, I wish I just was like I was before. Why can't I just be like I was before? 
And to be honest, that's not honestly realistic. Um, it's hopeful and we want to get patients there. We want to get people back to feeling great and completely symptom free. But if this is something that's really debilitating in your life, there's a good chance that we might not get that hundred percent, maybe 90, but not a hundred percent. So keep yeah, that in mind. That's, that's a really good point. I feel like mindset is everything in life in general, but especially when you have chronic illness, like migraine mindset is everything. When we talk about more of the treatment approach, how we manage migraines, obviously vestibular rehab has a major role in this. And it's not that we cure the migraine. We don't do that. But we do help you build upon your confidence, build upon your ability to perform functional daily activities and help manage your symptoms. One through education, through appropriate exercise. Typically with this patient population, we're starting a little bit slower and taking um, smaller stepping stones to get the patient back to functioning more like their normal selves. It's not uh, like an acute neuritis where you see them one week, they start exercise a couple weeks down the road, they're, wow, this is amazing. It's not like that. It's a slower, longer plan of care. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the patients I had talked about before that had the, the migraine that acted like BPPV, she was with me for a solid year. You know, there was times where we fluctuated where maybe we were down to once a week or we took a little break, but we were in constant contact for about a year, um, managing her symptoms and monitoring them. It's a slow go. And it's frustrating as a physical therapist sometimes because you're like, I'm not helping clearly this isn't working. Maybe we should give up. Maybe we should move on. Maybe I should try something different. Um, but what I found is if you are patient and you really listen to the patient and their symptoms and react accordingly, you will move in the right direction. Like I, one of my first patients this morning, eight o'clock, she came in, I could just see the look on her face in the waiting room. It was not going to be a good day. She came back. She's like, it's starting. I can feel it. It's coming on. The throbbing sensation is behind my left eye. So all we did was manual work. We first started with heat. I had her lay down. We did some relaxation techniques, worked on her neck, and we were able to possibly stave it off by the time she sat up and was getting ready to go. That throbbing sensation was gone. She no longer felt it coming on. She just still felt that little uneasy, fatigued feeling that she might get a, a migraine. So, yeah. you know, you, some days you got to take, you got to take a hit and you just got to say, all right, no exercise today. You're here. Let's make sure we get you feeling okay and yeah. move on from there. Yeah. And with chronic illness in general, I like to tell my patients, uh, you know, when you started with me, you were having five out of seven days were bad days. Now we're at two out of seven days are bad days. You still will have most likely some bad days, but if we can outweigh the bad days with good days, then we are moving in the right direction. That's key. If we're having more bad days than good days, we have to rework our approach again and, and you know take another avenue. And again, finding a clinician who's open to taking those other avenues is key, especially in the treatment of vestibular migraine. The last, go ahead. I was gonna say, um, I think it's probably transitioning to what you were transitioning into, but uh, patient buy-in, right? If you're, sometimes, I don't know if you found this, Abby, but sometimes if you're the first person to suggest migraine to the patient, and they're like, I don't have migraines. Sometimes it takes a couple of visits to kind of get them on board. And then from there, you have to get them to be consistent with lifestyle changes at home in order for them to see results and for vestibular therapy to really have a full effect. So are they being consistent with their home exercise program? Are they taking other modifications at heart 
for how they're spending their day. Like if there's somebody that refuses to give up their wine at night and we figured out that wine is a migraine trigger, then there's really not much to do from there. Um, yeah. But if they're able to open their ears and be willing to try different things, there's a lot of stuff that they can do at home in order to reduce potential symptom triggers and help you heal as you go through vestibular migraine or a vestibular therapy. Yeah. And I think here is going to be again, where next week, Alicia will have such good insight into lifestyle modifications. I know one of the things she uses are blue light blocking glasses for the sensitivity mm-hmm. um, in that realm. Also, if, if you're sensitive to light in general, plan, plan ahead. If you're going to be outdoors, bring sunglasses, bring a hat, bring an umbrella to block the sun if you need to. Also, mm-hmm. I found that patients who have a lot of nausea carry around some peppermint oil which you can get at more uh, holistic grocery stores, I guess, How more organic grocery stores. I don't know how you say it, but <laughs> a lot of those types of grocery stores have little, little um, essential oils. And peppermint oil is one where patients love to smell the peppermint oil to stave off that nausea or at least help yeah. reduce it or to have Altoids or some sort of peppermint tasting gum to help with the with the nausea. Also, yeah, I use it myself, actually. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. There. For me, what works is just putting the, the oil on your thumb and you press it to the roof of your mouth. Yeah. And that's been extremely helpful for both uh, headache and nausea. Yeah, that's great. And then there's also actually apps you can use on your phone to dim the light at certain hours. You know, during the daytime, the, the bright screen might be okay, but at night, that bright screen might be a trigger for you. So you want to dim that light and on the computer screen as well. So there's lots of things. I think the encouraging thing about management of vestibular migraines is there are lots of things actually within your control. It's um, sticking to those things, understanding what those things are for you in particular so that you can modify your lifestyle accordingly. And these, these, are, these are little changes, right? Like dimming your phone or bringing sunglasses. These can make a big impact on how you feel during your day. Yeah, and the consistency is key. Um, you know, if you're following a specific diet and it's working, bring food that you made for yourself with you to a party. Or if you're going out somewhere, don't be afraid to bring your own stuff Um, don't feel like you have to explain yourself to everybody, you know, just try to live your life as normal as possible, um, while making some of these more minute modifications, even on, if you have, um, iPhones, they have a night shift mode where you can put night shift on and it dims the blue light, um, dims the backlight itself to help decrease sensitivities. And I'm really excited to talk to Alicia about all of these because I know she's much more of the expert on this than I am. I refer to her site and her stuff all the time and I send patients her way just for that reason. She's yeah. got she's a mass, a great, a great following and a great uh, resource for patients with vestibular migraine. And she's been through it all firsthand. OK, even pregnancy. So we're going to learn <laughs> so much from her uh, next week. And also she is such a referral source for Dr. Bay, who actually published a book recently called Victory Over Vestibular Migraine. I have yet to dive into it, but I've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, I mean, definitely check it out. You can find it on Amazon. The book looks like this. Um, It's been a staple in my clinic. Um, I love his approach. He has an action plan, which he has a nice little chapter for each letter of action, including alternative drug-free therapies, life changes, therapeutic options that are both preventative and rescue therapies, 
um, interictal and uh, comorbidity disorders, and especially how to move onward, how to heal your body and your mind, find support and plan for your future. Um, so be sure to check out that as Dr. Shin Bay and Victory Over Vestibular Migraine, a huge resource for everything you can imagine for vestibular migraine. Yeah, so thankful for him and all the work he does for this patient population. I've sent several patients to them and or to him, I should say, and they all come back with raving reviews. So thank you to Dr. Bay and thank you to Alicia for being such amazing resources in this community. I can't wait to talk to Alicia next week and share some more information with you all about the management of vestibular migraine. Absolutely. And maybe next week we can touch on what we would do in physical therapy and, you know, my approach, your approach, Alicia's approach um, that she's taken with other vestibular physical therapists. So we'll add that into our discussion next week and dive in a little bit deeper. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us. See you next week. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos, blogs, continuing education classes, and resources, including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPMBV treatment charts. Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.